We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Field of 68 After Dark, although we're going a little early tonight, so I don't even know if we could call it After Dark. Maybe it's after sunset, depending on where you are. My name is Greg Waddell. We got Coach Steve Prohm with me tonight, and we got player-turned-coach-turned-analyst, T.O. What a star-studded crew. Fellas, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. Doing good, Greg, man. Thanks for having us on tonight. Hey, I'm glad I'm here for your first time, Greg. It's always good to be there with your friends for your first time for emotional support, <laughs> among other things. So congratulations and you're welcome. You know, it's how I always dreamed it, T.O. All of my first times in life, I picture your face smiling, <laughs> just staring at me from afar. So it's great to be here. Uh, fellas, let's jump right in. Let's just Jeff and Rob, man. You got big shoes to fill tonight. Now. <laughs> oh, it's tough. I feel comfortable with you two at the, in, uh, on the show. You know, I can just hand you the ball. I can stand in the corner like I do when I, in my playing career. That's what I did. Give the ball to the good players and watch them go to work. Uh, let's start with the most exciting game of this weekend, though. And that would be Creighton's big win at Marquette. Double overtime game. We have a special guest who should be joining the show just in a few moments, but Man, I was watching this game. I flipped back and forth to it throughout. And by the time they hit OT, I was locked in. I'm like, I got to watch every single second of this. Screw the other games. I was flipping back and forth too. This thing was back and forth. I thought Creighton had it. And then I thought they had let it slip. But that team just did not go away. Ultimately, they pull away with a 75-69 win. Coach, let's go to you. What'd you make of this game? Man, terrific win for Creighton. Obviously, uh, a game that was all over, ton of emotions, you know, up 17 in the second half. You know, game goes to overtime. You know, O'Connell, Alex hits the three to go to double overtime. And then, you know, playing at a facility like Marquette, the atmosphere, a road win. And then they've got a couple tough road games still to come to get that out of their, their first, a three out of four on the road. That was a huge win for, for Greg and his Blue Jays. It's always tough to go into Marquette. And I think before I get into Marquette, I want to say how good of a fit that Shaka Smart is at Marquette. The energy, I think he's a better fit for the conference. I'm excited about what Marquette's going to be able to do moving forward. But one of my favorite players, and I didn't even realize he was going to be one of my favorite players, Ryan Hawkins, Division II transfer, good size, holds these guys together. They've got young guards. Uh, Ryan Nimbard was terrific. And this was a big – you know, Marquette, they showed out early. They showed that they can compete with teams because they're going to play harder than a lot of teams they play against. Probably not as talented as a lot of other teams, 
But at the same time, because they play so hard, they're going to put themselves in position. I thought Ryan Hawkins was terrific. And what a shot by Alex O'Connell at the end of the first OT. Off the dribble, fading away. I mean, big time shot in the clutch. They just found a way to win. That's what good teams do. And Creighton, slowly but surely, is starting to show people that they are that type of team. They are a good team and a good a tournament team for that matter. Yeah, Creighton, to me, as you look back at the first month and a half of their season, they've had a pretty tough schedule. They've been involved in a lot of interesting games. They took some losses to teams that at the time, I think you kind of rolled your eyes to. Like, they lost at home to Iowa State, and I think everyone sort of took that as a slight against Creighton at the time. But now we come to find out Iowa State's a really, really good team. Uh, they lost to Arizona state. That was a weird one, but then they responded with a 20 point win against Villanova. It seems like this team's best is enough to be a factor in the big East, which I don't think I was prepared for going into this season, at least with all the new faces, they've got a huge freshman class. They've got a nice mix of transfers. I don't really feel like Creighton was on anybody's radar going into the season. Am I wrong on that? Did either of you have expectations of this team to potentially be a tournament team? Well, I think the one thing about Greg's teams over the years, man, he's found a way and he's had great consistency at Creighton. He's done a phenomenal job. Uh, it's a tough, tough place to win at. Um, you know, really, really good, good coach and he's done a tremendous job there. Uh, it. I will say this, you got Ryan Hawkins fixing a lot of things offensively and defensively. When you have a rim protector like Ryan Kalkbrenner, who we, we talked a little bit off air about Walker Kessler, he blocks everything. Kalkbrenner's right there. He might be the best rim protector in the Big East Conference. I think him and it's Ike Obiagu, those two guys in particular can really fix a lot of issues that you're going to have defensively because they can just take care of the rim. And whenever you have young guards that are still learning rotations and still learning how to stay in front, having that guy behind can fix a lot of problems. They're going to be able to shoot it. AOC can shoot it. Brian Hawkins can shoot it. They can space the floor. But the fact that they are, they are post-heavy with Hawkins and Kalkbrenner, those are their bell cows. Uh, it, it's almost like it goes, it goes kind of against what I'm used to watching Creighton play. It's usually fast guards get up, shoot it, individual plays. And they've, they've had good players. But this year, they're going about it a little bit differently. All right, so let's bring in our special guest, the man of the hour himself, head coach Greg McDermott from the Creighton Blue Jays. He should be in here any second. We shall see.
All right, we've got Coach Greg McDermott of Creighton off the most exciting game of the weekend and a huge win on the road at Marquette. Coach, thank you so much for being here. And honestly, I got to just start by asking, did you get any sleep last night after that big win? Yeah, not very much. Uh, it might have been an exciting game for you. I'm not sure it was for us, but uh, uh, our guys found a way in on the road in college basketball, you know, especially in our league. If, if, you, can, if you can figure out a way to steal one, uh, especially with our young group, you got to be pretty happy. Yeah, Coach, great win yesterday. Uh, you know, phenomenal resiliency, 2-0 in the league. Can you just talk from a coach's standpoint and a player's standpoint, just the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of the game? You're up 17 in the second half. You go to overtime. You're down five in the first overtime. Alex hits a three to send it to double overtime. And you get out of Marquette with a huge, huge road win because you've got three of your next four on the road, including this past game against Marquette. Can you just talk about how you keep those guys focused, the resiliency, especially battling that atmosphere at Marquette? Yes. You know, Steve, you, I didn't really know what to expect. We were off 15 days and uh, uh, since, since we played Villanova. And it, it's one thing to be on a pause when you have the problems with your team and you can't have guys at practice and you have to shut down because the virus has kind of infiltrated your program. It's, it's, it's a little more challenging when you're healthy and you could play like the frustration level of the guys is it's a, it's a, it's a little different thing mentally to get through. Uh, so I really didn't know what to expect. And I was really pleased with the way we started the game uh, and then started the second half. And then I, I thought that break hit us like a train uh, midway through that second half. I thought we lost a lot of energy and, um, and then, you know, gave Marquette some life on their home floor. So it just was a matter of, uh, you know, possession by possession and trying to trying to stay in the moment the best we could. And, you know, they made some good adjustments to what we were doing with our ball screen coverage. And uh, we got out of that and got in the zone. And I think the zone bought us some time and got us back in that game. And, you know, then we get, you know, let's face it, we got a little lucky, uh, you know, uh, you know, Alex made a hell of a play. They, they switched to the action that we were trying to, trying to run, but he got, was able to get to his right hand and get the shot off. And, uh, you know, it takes, uh, takes a little bit of good fortune in this game as well. Sometimes. Yeah. Coach, I got to ask you, Ryan Hawkins is slowly becoming everybody's favorite player. I mean, he transfers in obviously Northwest Missouri state. He's really well coached. He comes to you guys. Uh, what has he done for your locker room? What has he done for you on the floor? It seems like he's a steadying force for a lot of your young guys. Yeah, you know, somebody sent a tweet out yesterday about, you know, Coach Coach Don Meyer had the, the the dirty work guys, and there was a list of nine or ten things that those guys do on a daily basis, and he pretty much checks every box. And, you know, unfortunately, with the, with the recruiting during COVID, you just – you don't have an opportunity to get to know kids like you did before. Um, it's a Zoom call or a phone call, and especially when a kid's transferring and leaving a place at Northwest Missouri where certainly Ben didn't want him to leave. It's not like you have a lot of conversations with the coaching staff there to find out about the kid. Uh, you kind of go off what you see. And he, he's been a, you know, obviously he's been great on the floor and the basketball part aside, he's just been a godsend for this young team because of his daily habits, his approach to the game, uh, his enthusiasm and energy that he brings on a daily basis. And he's, you know, he's 24 years old. He's been doing this six years at the college level and he has a way of correcting these younger guys, but not, not doing it in a demeaning way, uh, in a way that they respect and in a way that they respond to. Um, so, you know, his, his impact is going to be felt here long, long past his playing days, but he, He's certainly been really good for us. 
I'm going from from one Ryan to the other Ryan. Ryan Nembard's been really good too. I mean, a young point guard, and he the point guards in your system they hold a lot of responsibility because you guys push it initially. He's got to know when to bring it back and find your guys. Uh, how good has he been for you? I, he's one of my favorite freshmen that nobody's really talking about except for Big East fans. Yeah, he, he's been terrific. And when you say Ryan around our program, we got like four of them. So we yeah, got, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> we got Cock Renner, Hawkins, Nemhard, and then Ryan Miller on my staff. So. Uh, if I want to get somebody's attention and somebody to listen, I just say the name Ryan and everybody seems to look at me. But uh, Nemhart's been terrific. And, you know, especially, you know, we Sharif Mitchell's played limited time this year. He's, he was our most experienced returning player. Uh, and it appears now that he's going to be out for the year. Uh, so the, you know, the, the weight that that's put on and on Ryan Nemhart's shoulders has been significant. And he's handled it like a pro. And, you know, I, I just think, He's unique in the sense that, uh, you know, his dad, they, they decided to go to Mount Verde and he went there when he was young and he didn't get to play a lot, but he was playing against great players every day in practice as a sophomore. He had a little bit more of a role as a junior off the bench. And then he led the team to the national championship playing with all those guys, you know, a bunch of lottery picks when, when he was a senior and then led the U or the Canadian junior national team to silver medal in Latvia this summer. So he's had a lot of experience playing with really good players, uh, but he fits our system to a T he, he, he's good, great in transition. Uh, you can, he's great in a ball screen. He makes the right read and obviously he can score the basketball as well. And, and, you know, his leadership qualities are really good to go along with all that. So um, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him, and especially with Sharif's injury, um, you know, he's been really terrific. Coach, last year, very good team, 22-9 and nine overall. Going into this season, you lose your five leading scorers from last year's team. You replace them with a great freshman class and then a mix of some new faces from elsewhere. I think I counted eight different guys in your rotation that are either freshman or first-year players. How do you navigate managing that, and how different is this type of roster than those that you've built in the past at Creighton? I mean, it, it's different, but it's it's also refreshing. I mean, it, it's really it really forced us as a coaching staff. You know, you you figure out what okay, what's really important, what's really necessary, because you know, as as, as Steve will tell you, you know, part of coaching is relying on those guys that have been in your program that as they're standing in line, they're correcting those freshmen as the freshmen are about to go. Well, we don't have many of those guys. So we've really, we really had to back off in the summertime and keep it pretty simple and decide, okay, what's important to our program? What do we have, need to get instilled in these guys now? Um, but having said all that, you know, Ryan Hawkins is, has been, you know, probably exceeded our expectation. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner's made a huge jump from his freshman to sophomore year. Alex O'Connell's doing exactly what we'd hoped he would do. You know, his plan was to come in, sit out last year. And then when all these guys leave, we have some, some veteran leadership to stick in there. Um, and, you know, the minutes he got last year off the bench, although it was, you know, 10 or 11 a game, I think that was important for him. And I think it's helped him this season. So, you know, our veterans have really, uh, they've had to grow up fast because they're, they're, you know, they have a lot of freshmen looking at them on a daily basis. And that freshman class of, you know, of Rati and, and Nemhard and Trey Alexander and Arthur Kaluma, they've just been great. There's not a lot of freshmen playing at our level across the country. And we've got four of them that are playing every game and they're doing a heck of a job. Hey, Coach, you know, obviously you've got great success there at Creighton, and Creighton's got great tradition. And just being up in the Midwest for the last several years, being over to Omaha, the College World Series, the Omaha Zoo, it's a great, great city. Can you just touch about touch on the fan base, how great of an atmosphere it is to play at Creighton, 17, 18, 19,000 every single night? 
that doesn't happen everywhere in college basketball and just how great a support you guys have there in Omaha and at Creighton. Yeah. You know, when I, when I left Iowa state and I came, came here and as I was here and learned more about the program, I really felt like we were a sweet 16 away from everybody finding out what kind of a hidden gem this was. And obviously Dana laid all the groundwork and did an unbelievable job elevating this program and having the success uh, that he had in the Missouri Valley Conference. And, you know, what ended up happening while we made some NCAA tournaments, the move to the Big East told that story for us. And certainly Doug's success his senior year and every all the attention that came with that, people found out what a unique place it is. It's, it's, this is a basketball town. Um, you know, we, we don't have a professional sports team in our state. So obviously creating basketball in the wintertime is it. And, and uh, you know, we, we've had loyal fan support throughout my time here. And, and even going back to the year after Doug graduated, we started 0-8 in the Big East that year. And we knew it was going to be a rebuild because, we, you know, you found out overnight you were moving from the Valley to the Big East. Um, and all Doug's group all graduated. We're 0-8. We come home and we play Butler on a Tuesday night at 8-15. And we have 18,100 people in the building. And I, I still get goosebumps when I think about that, because there, there are a lot of places across the country, Blue Bloods, you can include them all, that if you start 0-8, people are jumping off the ship. And we have a very educated fan base that understands it, that loves it. And, you know, they understand what we're going through this year with these young guys. And, uh, you know, we've had some some pretty good success so far. And, and uh, hopefully our fan base can keep us going. Well, as I listen to that story, I, for one, as a fan, I'm thankful that you guys found your way to the Big East because, and Steve Prohm, please shut your ears on this one. I think you guys are in the best conference in college basketball this season. I think what you're doing at Creighton is a huge part of that. Doesn't get easier for you. I think you go to Villanova next. I can't wait to watch that one. Good luck in that one. Good luck the rest of the season, Coach. Thank you so much for being on here tonight with us. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys. And, uh, you know, it, it is fun to be in a basketball-centric conference where, you know, every decision that's made is how do we make men's and women's basketball better? And uh, that's been refreshing. And obviously, uh, you know, the Big East has, has done a lot for Creighton. And, I, and I'd like to think that we've brought some value to the league as well. Thanks, Coach, man. Appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, thanks guys. Great to catch up. Yeah, I love watching your teams play, Coach. I appreciate it. All right, T.O., I've seen you enough on this show over the last few weeks, and I think you've been a trooper. I think you've been a superstar at putting up with this nonsense, but there's been oh, a lot no. of shade thrown to your conference of choice, which would be the ACC. I think to quote a certain Rob Doster, I think there was a sentence said on this very show last night that the ACC may be a one bid league. That's ridiculous. Well, Stop the nonsense. <laughs> what are we talking about? There's too much. There's too much going on right now. And then it's the same Rob Doster last night, Greg, who said everybody sucks. Everybody, not everybody can suck. Somebody has to be good. <laughs> it's not one of these things. Like ACC is going to be fine. Had it, did it have a bad non-con? Of course it did. But we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine.
Let's just be let's just be clear from the from the jump. Yeah, well, somebody has to emerge, right? And that's the question: is who's going to emerge outside of Duke? One team made their case tonight. That would be the North Carolina Tar Heels, fresh off of a blowout victory at Boston College. UNC seems to be the team that nationwide basketball fans agree. They're probably the second best in the ACC, but I've heard very varying levels of belief in this Tar Heel team. I think you wouldn't be crazy to say this is a lock NCAA tournament, potential second weekend type team. I don't think you'd be crazy to say one or two things go wrong and this team finds themselves on the bubble. Tio, as the ACC resident in-house expert, where do you stand on the Tar Heels right now? Those, first of all, those are really strong words. Second of all, uh, I, I, Steve, I think you said this in our group chat, 0-1-3 against teams that are ranked in the top 25. And I, I, you know what? I have come off as a Carolina hater previously, probably rightfully so. But at the same time, those guys are Tarzan until they play other Tarzans, and they turn into Jane real quick. And you saw how, how that went against Kentucky. Now, look, Boston College – They've had some issues. They haven't been able to practice. I'm not sure about all the particulars, but that's a team that beat Notre Dame. So you almost have to give them a little bit of credit. Of course, Notre Dame isn't great either, but this, this isn't a Notre Dame part of the show. This is a North Carolina part of the show. They still had to show up and win. And they've shown that whenever they can stay in front of opposing teams' guards, they can be really good because their bigs are really good. Offensively, this team can score. But whenever their guards start getting beaten and beaten consistently, they start to back down in a hurry and you worry about the mental toughness of their backcourt because they start, I mean, you saw what severe Wheeler just hurt their feelings. It seemed like, and then they just stopped playing. Yeah. The, the one thing about Carolina, we, we talked about it a little bit off air is, is the big numbers is, you know, they've got to get a big win, you know, I mean, 0 three against the top 25, Tennessee, Purdue, Kentucky, obviously they need Michigan to get it going, you know, so that Michigan win, proves to be a big win later later in the year. But like Terrence touched on, there's no way the ACC is going to be a one or two bid league. These power five leagues, I mean, wasn't it last year everybody was talking about the Pac-12 and then they have two teams in the elite, elite eight, one team in the final four. You know, it's, you know, the, the power five, those to go through the gauntlet of those teams and you got to go at Duke, at Carolina, home Louisville, you know, at Florida State, uh, you know, we just got off with, with Greg McDermott. Their, legs, their four games, it's at Marquette, home Providence, at Villanova, at Xavier. You know, those four games, you know, you put four game stretches, whether it's the Pac-12, the Big 12, the ACC, it is hard. And it is hard to manage, especially, you know, in this landscape with all the COVID and all the uncertainty. And so, you know, maybe it's a year they only get three to five teams in. Uh, but I can't see them being a one or two bid league, but they need, it's kind of like certain teams, you, certain leagues need certain teams to be good. Carolina and Duke got to be elite in the ACC. And then everybody else, you know, Florida state's been so good of recent, recent time. They, they need to be back to where, you know, Louisville, those teams, you know, so the league gets a little bit more credit top to bottom, but you know, a lot of, a lot of preseason talk on Virginia tech, they've got to get going. Um, but Carolina, the one thing, when you look at the numbers today, they shot it well, which is a thing in the preseason, people were talking about how well is Carolina going to shoot it? I think through Baycott, Baycott, Love, Manic, you know, RJ Davis, they really stepped up and played today and Garcia went out. And then the other thing, they only gave up 20 points in the first half. 
And I don't care in Division One basketball at the Power Five level. You're only giving up 20 points in the first half. You're playing some defense, and that's one of the things Carolina. We were on them with a couple weeks ago. I so I believe in this North Carolina team. To your guys' point, in the biggest moments, they've sort of put their tail between their legs and ran in the other direction. To me, which maybe that says more about their toughness than anything else. But I do believe in the talent. I believe in the skill. I think Caleb Love has shocked me how efficient he's been this season. I was a very anti-Caleb Love person heading into the season. I just didn't think he was ever going to be able to be a high-quality scorer on a good team. Thought he was going to be a good stats, bad team guy, or a role player on a really good team. But he's 43% from the floor. He's 82% from free throw, 41% from three. He's their second-leading scorer. I think I'm buying into the fact that Caleb Love could be the best backcourt guy on a team that has some success in March. To your point, though, T.O., I don't know that we're going to get any opportunity to see this team be anything other than the Tarzan that beats up on Janes because they've already missed those opportunities, right? Unless you consider Michigan that one big resume booster for them, but right now Michigan doesn't look like that at all. But do you think that bodes well for them in ACC regular conference play, though? Like, if they are the team that rises to the challenge and beats their chest when they go up against someone who's not their size. I don't know that there's many teams their size in this conference. Uh, I mean, confidence is, a, is certainly a big player when it comes to college kids and Carolina could play their way to 16 wins in this league, the way it's going. I mean, you got to keep in mind too, Carolina is much more talented than a lot of teams in the conference. And, and that, that's not saying something crazy or demeaning to anybody else or any other team in the conference. It's just the fact that you're at Carolina, you're going to get better players a lot of times than others are. It's just they're kind of like the school bully at this point. They get punched in the mouth. Okay, he's going to shut up and he's going to go back to his corner. That's what Carolina is right now. They're the school bully. If they get hit back, there's not a whole lot of fight left to give. That's kind of what everybody's worried about right now. And quite frankly, guys, that's what we've seen. Purdue punches punches them in the mouth, they're gone. Kentucky punched them in the mouth twice, and they they went home. They didn't even go back to their seat. They went home. Like, it it was just – I'm curious to see how, besides Duke, who's going to be the team that gives them that opportunity? Well, those three losses, like you touched on, they, they, they were beat soundly in mm-hmm. those three games. And when you look ahead at their schedule, if you just take their next five games, you know, at Notre Dame, home Virginia, home Georgia Tech, at Miami, who's won eight out of nine, mm-hmm. uh, at Wake Forest, which had gone to a great start but dropped their first two ACC games, and the next five games, what's a top 25, top 50, NET, Ken Palm, AP top 25 coaches poll win that's ahead of them over the next three weeks? And, you know, that'll go take us almost to late January where maybe they don't have a quality, quality win. But that doesn't, if you go 15 and three, 16 and two, 14 and four in the ACC, you are a legit basketball team. And by the time all it's all, by the time it's all said and done too, coach, like their confidence is going to be sky high. They're going to win 15, 16 yep. games in the conference. They're going to go into the tournament. They could be a second weekend team because they can overwhelm you. It's just a matter of if they feel like guarding or not. That's what it's come down to for North Carolina. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see it play out. I think this team's clearly two in the ACC. Do they have the ceiling of jumping up and being 1B at some point? Maybe that depends on how they fare in those games against Duke. I doubt it, 
but I still think, you know, a very solid resume at the end of the year, if you go, whatever it is, 16, four, 15 and five in ACC play beat all the teams that aren't ranked teams. Uh, they're going to be sitting pretty and potentially still get a four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. They've got the talent to do whatever they can from there. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Let's move to the big 10 though. My favorite conference. We've spent enough time talking about TOs. Let's talk about the Spartans who quite frankly, folks, Yes, I'm a Michigan State person here. Yes, I host Unscripted with the Field of 68. We don't talk enough about the Spartans on the Field of 68 after dark. I don't know that I've even seen a Michigan State segment this year. So what better time than today as the first place in the Big Ten Michigan State Spartans got a big road win, a come-from-behind road win against a sneaky good Northwestern team, 3-0 and in Big Ten play. I think there's a little bit, if I'm going to be completely honest, because, again, I got to be objective here. There's a little bit of that UNC bully syndrome with Michigan State. They're 0-2 in their big games this year, both against top five opponents, Baylor and Kansas. I would argue both of those games were competitive for a half, and then they weren't in the second half. Now, I don't think there's many teams in the country who can play 40 minutes of competitive basketball with Baylor and Kansas, and Michigan State's taking care of business everywhere else. They've been tested with UConn, Loyola Chicago, now 3-0 in the Big Ten. Fellas, let's go to you first, Coach. Are you buying Michigan State as a true contender in the Big Ten this season? Yeah, I'm buying Michigan State for sure. I'm always buying a Tom Izzo team just because of what he's about, what he stands for, how they compete. You know, obviously aggressive in transition. They're going to compete on the glass. Uh, you know, they went in the halftime down, I think, seven, you know, on the road. And it's a big game for Northwestern. You know, they, they, they had a tough loss to Providence in the Garden or in the Barclays Center up there in, in uh, early in the preseason, and they lost a close game at Wake. They probably should have got let one slip away. And so it's a great opportunity for Northwestern to get to 2-0 and in the league. And Michigan State put their hard hats on in the second half and really dominated the second half and finished the game out. But, man, they're old. They've got five of their top six guys are juniors and seniors. Um, they know how to win. Um, you know, they play nine guys, you know, extended minutes, you know, 10 plus minutes. Um, and, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, you know, Purdue or the field. The reason it's it's hard not to take the field is because Michigan State's sitting out there, you know, Illinois sitting out there, teams that are really starting to gear up and play well. And, you know, obviously losing to Baylor and Kansas, that's nothing to feel feel bad about. You know, you learn from those games, you get better. And, you know, that's what Izzo teams are always going to do. And uh, I, I'm buying them. They've got a great stretch here. Their next three out of the four at our home games where they where they probably feel confident. If you are a betting man or just making picks, you're going to take them. And then they got a big road test at Michigan uh, that they need to try to take care of business and get that one. I, I'm all for it until you start talking to me about Purdue playing them. <laughs> Because I feel like what Michigan State's really, really good at is what Purdue can overwhelm them at. And that's on the boards with their size. That's with Jaden Ivey, who's going to out-athlete them. I will say this, though. We were at the beginning of the year and went to the Champions Classic. And it was going to take Michigan State some time. Tyson Walker needed to adjust. A.J. Hogard needed to adjust. Those, both of those guys now have a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. They've been really good for them. And then on top of that, Max Christie – he needed to figure out this college game. When we talked to Max, he's going to talk about it a little bit here later on. But that he needed to figure out the college game. Look, losing to Baylor, losing to Kansas, nobody's going to fault you there. 
They've taken care of business against teams they've needed to take care of business on. I think they're mentally tough. I love Hall. Gabe Brown, I thought was going to be an explosive. I thought he was going to have a big year for them this year because I thought he shot it really well and he had good length and he just kind of did all the right stuff without really having a big scoring year. He's averaging double figures now. Like this is a team that can, or close. What is he averaging? You should know this, Greg. Oh, boy, off the top of my head. I bet he's averaging 12. I'm yeah, so he's right averaging now, double figures. Like, it's a bunch of guys. I probably should have that. 14.2, even better. Uh, yeah, I, I should have that in front of me. Unprofessional. Yeah. If I'm going to start bringing up stats, I better have it ready to go, Coach. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, I like their team. I like their pieces. I like Marcus Bingham Jr. I think he's a guy that has been – if potential if potential turns into production, watch out. And he has played well. He's a rangy defender. I think he does a nice job. And he provides a little bit of inside-out stuff for him. I like the team. I like the makeup. I just worry when they play Purdue. I love Purdue. Yeah, and this is the type of team going back all of Tom Izzo's career, quite frankly, that when he has a team that's maybe a little slept on relative to some of his better teams in the preseason, he typically outperforms expectations every single time. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing that with this group. To me, this is one of the groups that is so clearly a bigger sum of the individual parts, because I, here's my thing, even as uh, you know, someone who wants to talk and watch Michigan State basketball, my thing with this team is, do they have a true alpha? And I think Gabe Brown has become that he's their leading scorer. He's hunting shots. He's putting up seven, eight threes a game, and he can just rise and shoot over anybody on the wing. I think Max Christie has the potential to become that. And like you said, Tio, he's getting a lot more comfortable. But this team still has too many times where their key guys are very off. Like Malik Hall, I swear, his basketball performance on the court is bipolar. He's either their best player or he's a total non-factor. Tyson Walker tonight had zero points, 0 for 5 from the field, I think one assist. Um, it's just really tough to win with. Now, the thing that's helped them so far is that they have enough depth and enough guys that even when their two or three key guys are playing poorly, they've been able to survive and sustain that. And that's what happened in the second half. Um, now, I, I got to ask you, Coach, is that a blessing in disguise or is that something that's going to come back to bite them that they don't truly have like a clear cut NBA guy who can go get them a bucket in March? You know, the one thing I look at and, and we were joking, you know, Terrence was joking about not having the, the numbers in front of him. I went down, you know, no, we were going to talk about Michigan state and just look at their, you know, points production. They've got seven guys that is averaging more than seven points a game Four that's almost double figures. And so if you've ever coached a team, when I was an assistant, I think 2009, 10, we had a really good team, Murray State, we had six guys averaged 10 points or more. And, you know, we ended up winning a game in NCAA tournament, lost to Butler in a really good game to go to the Sweet 16. But it's very hard to take away your best player because you have so many other options of guys that can step up. And like you're touching on, you know, yeah, so, you know, Walker didn't play well or, you know, make Christie didn't play well, just throwing different guys' names out there. You have three, four, five other guys, even Aikens. I've seen Michigan State play, and we were texting about him off air a little bit. Um, you know, he'll make he'll make some 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 tough plays for him and, and bring some juice for the team. And so I think, you know, I, I, I think it helps you. I, I think it helps you because they're more diverse. You know, it's tougher to scout. It's tougher to prepare for because their depth is really good. 
Hey, what about at the end of games, coach? I got to ask you this. You've had some really, really good players that you've coached over the years. Like, would you rather have four or five guys that could potentially get you, or would you rather have the dude? Well, you like to have the dude. When you have the four or five, they're all, you know, some are like, man, if, if they don't – if that one guy doesn't make it, the other guys maybe <laughs> yeah, that's <all> right. <laughs> So, when you call it for them, you better hope they make it. And so uh, – but I think if you've been around the good teams that understand, you know, selfless basketball, the right way to play, they understand, um, you know um, – that why why you went to that person in that certain moment but uh it is it is good to have a guy you know obviously both inside outside if you can say hey we need something outside or we need something inside or we need a paint touch somebody get to the free throw line something we know we're going to get a surefire opportunity here it's no question good to have that and be able to throw that ball to that person but i do like michigan states you know i do like their depth i do like their toughness and like you said i think when you doubt Tom Izzo, I, I think that's just when he's at his best. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. So T.O. and I had a chance to sit down and talk with the guy who I think could be the dude for Michigan State as we get into March. That would be Max Christie. He's a great interview. I wasn't expecting that. I got to be honest. I've seen him on the court. I really hadn't seen him in front of a microphone. He's just as good there. Let's get to our interview with Max Christie. All right, we are pleased to have Max Christie, Michigan State freshman star with us. Max is coming off a big game in a road win, a bit of a homecoming win for him. Chicago kid, his mom was a thousand point scorer at Northwestern. Max, what was that like being in that environment with the family ties and then coming out with a victory? Yeah, it felt great, honestly. It was one of the games I was looking forward to a lot, just coming into Northwestern, because, you know, I grew up in this program. Almost my mom played here. Um, I've been a ball boy for Northwestern, even when we played when they played Michigan State back in the day. So I've been around that program for a while. And it felt really good just to come in, sort of like you said, a homecoming game, and just, you know, play my game, you know, do what I did, 10 points, 7 rebounds, um, and, and get most importantly get a win. So it felt good to be there for sure. Man, that's big time. Max, I actually got a chance to uh, watch you play in person at Madison Square Garden. And you could see your talent. You just ooze with talent and potential. I, I think uh, Greg will vouch for that. Greg's a big Michigan State guy. Oh, yeah. But uh, I will say this, man. It's like you're starting to come together and figure it out. And I got to ask you a little bit. This freshman adjustment, it's a real thing, right? And what has oh, been yeah. the hardest part about it for you? Um, I, think, I think one of the biggest adjustments that I've made so far is, and I think everybody's seen it, is just the shot, my shot, sort of. It's not even a bad thing, to be honest. But the ability is different in college. I think I'm making that transition, you know, sort of. It just happens to everybody. I mean, I had that little slump I was in before, and then I had a good breakout game against Oakland. And now this game was a little bit was a little bit better, I think, than, you know, my, my old games when I was in a slump. So I think it's good to just, you know, go through that transition now. I think it was normal. I think it's normal. It's not something that – um, that I'm not familiar with. I've gone through something like this before when transitioning, but I think that's one of the biggest transitions I'm learning right now is just, you know, sticking with it, staying confident in my jump shot, even though sometimes it may not fall. It's just an adjustment to make because, you know, college is a lot different than high school, all these closeouts, quick closeouts, these reads and the, the scouts that teams are playing against me. So it's just an adjustment for sure. But I think the more games that I've been playing and the more games I will play, 
I'm, I'm going to get better. My shots are going to fall. I'm still going to be confident regardless. So I love that game starting to slow down a little bit for you. And then, Certainly, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I got to ask you this because coach Izzo has a truly unique relationship with his players. Uh, the players go back and forth a lot. He lets you explain yourself. I got to hear a little bit how that's been for you as far as learning from somebody as legendary as coach Izzo and, and, transitioning from high school to playing for somebody like that, that's so intimately involved uh, exactly. with his players. I got, I got to hear more about that because you guys go back and forth. Yeah, 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 certainly. So, I mean, I don't do as much to be honest. I sort of just listen, you know, when I, when I feel like I may be right or he may have a mistake, I do give my, you know, my two cents every now and then, but it's not in a disrespectful manner at all. Yeah. Um, Cause he has that relationship with his players. And so I think for me, mostly I sort of just listen to him. I don't necessarily say much, even if he may be wrong in the moment, in my opinion, most of the time he's right. I mean, he's a hall of fame coach. And so if, if it really comes down to the fact where I really think he's wrong, I'll talk to him after the game about it. But um, I, I don't necessarily jar with him at all. I think we have a good relationship. I know he, he knows what he's talking about. Obviously he's won a national championship. He knows what it's like. He knows what it takes. And so, um, I make sure that, you know, I keep myself cool in those situations because he knows what he's talking about. He's definitely more knowledgeable in the game of basketball than I am. So you guys are sitting here 3-0 and in the Big Ten, alone in first place in the conference. Not to look too far ahead because you got a home game Wednesday night, but there's a big one coming up. Your first time in the rivalry game in Ann Arbor on Saturday next weekend. Have the guys told you what to expect from that rivalry game? Oh, yeah, we talk about it all the time. You know, that's that's our arch nemesis, our arch rival. And so we know we're going into to enemy territory, real enemy territory. And so we're excited for that game. But like you said, we're not looking past Nebraska whatsoever. And so um, I'm excited for that game. That's, you know, I think, six days a week almost from now. And so that game's going to be fun. My first game, you know, getting into that rivalry. But um, we're looking forward to Nebraska first. And, and after that game, we'll, we'll look to Michigan for sure. Hey, I got, I got two questions for you. First of all, and I'm kind of coming up impromptu on this one, so you're going to have to forgive me, Greg, but having guys like Malik on the team, having guys like Gabe on the team, you step right into the starting lineup and they just brought you right in and accepted you right away. That's got to be significant. And what have they been able to share with you that's made it, that's made it a, a special experience? Because you guys are playing well. Yeah, well, both of them are captains for good reason. Both Leek and Gabe did a really good job and have done a really good job of welcoming in, to, you know, that starting role and helping me adjust to, to college and uh, encouraging me, making sure that even though when I make a mistake, I miss a jump shot, I turn the ball over, miss a free throw, whatnot, they're still there for me all the time. You know, they're always making sure that I'm comfortable and confident. Um, and they've done a great job of that, even with that, just not even me, regardless of myself, the whole team. They've done a great job second, stepping into that leadership role as captains making sure that the team is on track to do what we want to do, which is win a national championship, Big Ten championship, go to the Final Four. And so they've done a great job of that so far. And, uh, I mean, all the players look to them for guidance because they've been here, they're veterans and they're captains. And so they do their job really well. All right, I got one more. So I'm sitting down to eat and I turn on my phone because that's how I'm keeping up with everything. And the next thing I know, somebody shoots a three from the right four or the left 45 and my man Max Christie comes out of nowhere and throws it down. Where do you rank on the Spartan team if there was a dunk contest like who's taking that are you up there I got I, I just got to hear that one if, if, if I'm being honest I, I think people do sleep on my dunking ability because I don't oh, do I think it very they do often. too I don't do it very often which it, it partially is my fault I don't do it very often but if we had a dunk contest I don't know if I I mean Gabe's up there Jane's up there Mark's up there maybe I'm maybe top five maybe but I don't dunk very often. I don't show. I don't. I haven't shown my dunk package 
at all. To be honest, and so I don't do it very often, but I think I'd be top five probably. I think you started to show it today, and look, I'm starting to get used to those Jaden Aikens tip slams, so I had to do a double take that it wasn't him, and actually it was Max Christie who came through with it, so I don't think anyone's going to sleep yeah. on your dunking ability anymore. I've got one more for you. T.O. told you I'm a I'm an East Lansing guy, Michigan State graduate. After a big win like that on the road, you get home. Where are you going in East Lansing? What's the spot? Huh? What's the We're spot tonight? Just, I mean, oh. or just in general, what, I mean, where's your go-to place after a victory? Um, one of the places I like the most is Barrios. It's a new taco place that just opened up, I think this year or last year. It's, it's really good. And so um, if we have time tonight, I'll definitely go stop by there and see if I can get a nice little taco, you know? So we'll see how that goes. That's how I know I'm getting old because I don't recognize that one. I'm exactly. only like yep. six, seven one. years removed, but man. It's a new one. It's a new one. Well, enjoy, Max. It's a pleasure watching you. Good luck the rest of the season, and congrats again on the victory today. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So, Max Christie... I, you know, I'm someone who sees the Spartan fan base and has sort of followed his journey from high school to where he is now. And when I tell you the Spartan fan base was excited about this kid, that's an understatement. I think expectations for this kid were extremely high. We were like, oh, my gosh, especially when you see Tom Izzo. I mean, give him the ball his very first game college debut. He led the team in minutes. And that was a wake up call for every Spartan fan in the country of like, oh, my gosh, we got something here. Now, I think there's also people who would look at Max Christie's stats and just do a quick Google search and say this guy was a projected lottery pick at one point. And I think that is a tough thing to balance with a first year player. And it's really hard to not or to take some of that out of context when you just look at some of those percentages. Coach, you've had stars. You've had star freshmen. How do you deal with that and the public perception midseason? Well, I think you got to make sure they know they got to all run their own race. And that's a big thing I like to say all the time. You know, he can't compare himself to any other freshman. He can't compare himself to any guys that are one and done or, or other kids that played at Michigan State or the guys that played his position. He needs to run Max Christie's race. And with his skill level and his ability, if he does that, uh, with the guy that he has coaching him. That's the great thing about him going to Michigan State. He's going to be held accountable. He's going to be coached hard. He's going to be challenged each and every day, and he's not going to, he's not going to be able to slide by, and, and everything's going to be you know, on the up and up, and he's going to be held accountable, uh, and he's going to be pushed to, a, to, a, to another level. And so I think the biggest thing is you got to let those guys play through some mistakes uh, in order to continue to gain confidence, uh, you look at some of his numbers right now, he's almost averaging double figures, you know, as a freshman in the Big Ten, playing the schedule. They played Baylor, Kansas, three Big Ten teams, you know, already. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably missing one or two games. Um, it is, you know, his percentages from three in the field right now, you know, are not are not terrific. They're, you know, they're just solid, you know, at best. But that's just going to come with time, him getting stronger, he's get him getting more mature, and him, him getting more game reps. And you know, he's got a high, high ceiling and, you know, he doesn't want to peak right now. He wants to continue to grow and get better. And he's in a great situation to do that. 
Another thing too is I think to go along with run your own race, I think we get caught up in these rankings sometimes and you see him, he's the number one shooting guard in the country. That's because of tools. And I, I, it's not necessarily a finished product. A lot of these ranking systems that everybody's putting out, they're, ba- they're putting it out based on pro potential. This kid has that. But at the same time, you got to let a freshman be a freshman. He's, his body's probably not quite ready for Big Ten play. Let's just be honest. That's a rugged league. You're getting bumped on every cut. It's a bunch of strong old guys in that league, guys. Like, that's yeah. a strong league. And his shot and his percentages have been reflective of that because he's been knocked off his spots quite a bit. I think with time, this kid's going to be really good. I hope he stays another year because I think kids jump out too early now because for obvious reasons, it's a lot of money, guys. It's life-changing money in the NBA now. It's kind of absurd how much money these guys are making. But at the same time, if he puts it off for a year, his sophomore season could be really, really good because the tools and the skill are there. His body needs to catch up. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. You saw with that tip dunk. That tip dunk was pretty special. He got up there and threw it down quick. It's just – some guys need more time, and I think he's a good example of that. The, the potential is still there, but the body needs to catch up a little bit. And he spoke to us about getting comfortable. And to me, that's mm-hmm. what I feel like I've seen in his latest games. You know, it's easy to nitpick and look at specific games of the season, be like, oh, he didn't have it tonight. Oh, he's feasting upon some lesser competition-type teams. But, look, when the going was tough for Michigan State today, they were turning to Max Christie. They were dialing some things up for Max Christie. He hit a couple really big buckets in that second half at critical times, and I think you're only going to see that continue to blossom as they get into the thick of Big Ten play. All right, this yeah, was a big one, week. Oh, go ahead, Coach. Uh, I just said one other thing. It just shows his character is, you know, when kids – and Terrence knows this. When you go back home and you're playing in front of you, kind of your home area, uh, you can force things. You can get frustrated. You can struggle at times. You know, for him to make big plays in big moments and not force things and play within Tom's system says a lot, a lot about Max. You can also look at Michigan across the street, too. Not literally across the street, but, like, Caleb Houston struggled. I mean, freshmen are going to be freshmen, especially guys that rely on their perimeter jump shot because they're not used to being bumped and scouted like they usually are, unless they're just insane like I was and just shot every time they touched it anyway. And I didn't really think about it. These guys are smarter than me and they're better players. So like what ends up happening is they get pushed off their spots and they're not used to being as physical up because they're so much bigger than everybody in high school. It's a big adjustment to play in these power conference leagues with that size. I can't emphasize that enough. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, a little bit tougher to maybe play in those environments than to sit behind a phone and tweet about how guys aren't playing very well to you. There you go. It's hard. Yeah, there you go. Here, you heard it from the man himself. So you weren't better than Max Christie. At what? <laughs> nah, I just kidding. <laughs> Podcasts? <laughs> the answer's no. <laughs> Three-point percentages were better. That's it. That's where that line ends, right if then I, and there. If I go to YouTube and search Terrence Oglesby tip slam, what's going to turn up for me, T.O.? Hey, but let's let's not get into details right now. <laughs> okay. Let's not lose our train of thought here. All right, all right, like, all right. We'll move on. Hey, fifty percent career dunker. We got to move on. Surprises of the week are next. Yeah, so we can move on. Week. We can move on. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's let's look back at the week that was because during a holiday week there was surprisingly some good basketball played. There were definitely some surprises that happened. Let's go around the horn. Everybody, give me one thing that surprised you this week. To let's go to you first. I feel like I'm jumping on the Goodman train and I'm being a little negative. I'm being a little negative, but Arkansas losing three out of their last four. I thought that was a team that was going to – the must bus was full of diesel. It was ready to go, and they started out really strong against probably 
I'm just going to say mediocre competition. People were complaining, hey, this isn't a top 25 team. Well, got to play somebody. They do play some, some people and they lose. Lose to Oklahoma, lose to Hofstra, end up beating Elon, and then go down to Mississippi State and get whipped. So you gotta got to figure out. I'm a little disappointed because I was a big Chris Likes fan. I thought there wasn't a more entertaining player in the, in the Atlantic Coast Conference last year than him when he was healthy, or two years ago. He didn't play last year. Like, that was a team that has pieces. I wonder how long it's going to take them to get back. That's been surprising for me because over the last three or four games, Arkansas hasn't found a way to get out of their own way. So are you buying or selling stock of Arkansas at this point? I don't know that I might be buying because the stock is so low right now. So like I might be buying. I think that's fair. I'm buying for the record. I still, I hear it. It's been a debacle. I think everything you just said is correct but I'm still, maybe I'm not on the bus anymore, but I'm holding on for dear life. That's how I feel with Musk right now. I still believe in that team's talent. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'll, I'll buy. If we're going to say it's low, I'll buy right now. Coach, who do you got for surprise of the week? Uh, surprise of the week, go down south to Tulane, the Green Wave. You know, they lose, four their, they, they lose four out of five. They missed their last three games because of COVID situations, whether it was within their program or their other, or other teams' programs. They're three and six open in American play. They beat Memphis at home, and then they go on the road and beat Cincinnati. A huge week for Ron Hunter and his team to start league play 2-0 and uh, for the Green Wave. Yeah, and that Cincinnati game, I mean, that was over about 10 minutes in. And I was curious, after the Memphis win, you know, that could be a little bit of a letdown spot. Cincinnati, a tough team to play. No, they came out firing. They kept that momentum rolling. I think that's a really good pick. Uh, my surprise of the week, I can't believe I'm even discussing this team at all, but I, I genuinely was so surprised that they got a victory. I feel obligated to acknowledge it. Virginia beating Syracuse at Syracuse in a game where during the stretch run of that game, Virginia scored five consecutive times from the field. And Buddy Beheim, give him credit, was doing his Buddy Beheim thing. He was throwing in some Hail Marys, some late shot clock heaves that were going down. And Virginia answered offensively. And I, quite frankly, didn't think this team was capable of that. I've been very critical of Kihei Clark. I've been very critical of Armand Franklin. And those guys stepped up and they shot the ball well. They made some key ones down the stretch. Uh, a Virginia team that I am very low on took a small step up for me. Let me just Tony's say Tony's teams are always going to get better. Yeah. They're going to get better throughout the year. To kind of go, go on what you said, Syracuse is going to win a lot of games they're not supposed to. They're going to lose a lot of games they're not supposed to. <laughs> so, like, because that zone, you give Tony Bennett some time to figure it out. I mean, Tony Bennett's going to figure it out. I think that's important. And that's also why I think they do so well in the tournament, because you only have a day pr to prepare for all that length in that zone. It's tough. Yeah. It was a tale of two games, too, when they could put Gardner in the middle against that zone. I mean, it was easy bucket after easy bucket, just turn around, natural fallaways. When they had to put Reese Beekman in there, things got a little dicey. So credit to Gardner, credit to uh, Tony Bennett and the Cavs for figuring that one out. Let's move on to stars of the week. Same thing, round the horn. Give me your star of last week. Coach, we'll start with you this time. Can I give you one team and one coach? Is that sure. okay? Team, I, I'm, I'm not going to give an individual player. I'm just going to give the team, the Providence Friars team. You know, you beat Seton Hall in a tough, tough game at home, and then you go on the road to DePaul and you just handle your business. And when you're a legit team, Terrence knows, when you're legit and you're about it and you're, you're a championship-level team, 
you don't screw around. You go on the road and you dominate games you're supposed to dominate. And they went in there and handled their business 13 and one phenomenal job and phenomenal start to Ed Cooley's teams. And then uh, Brock Morris, you know, filling in for Bob Marlin, Louisiana Lafayette. Bob Marlin has had a COVID protocol, had to sit out all time Sunbelt wins leader, uh, you know, at ULL. Brock Morris takes his team in the ULL Lafayette team goes wins at App State, wins at Coastal Carolina, and uh, two huge wins to start conference play for Lafayette. I'm first of all, I'm thrilled that you gave uh, Providence their flowers because I'm pretty sure we had some death threats after yesterday because Goodman called them the uh, luckiest team in the country last night. <laughs> so he wow. said, "There's no team luckier than Providence." <laughs> he said it was a. Uh, you know, they, they played Seton Hall without uh, Ike Obiagu. They, they, they played uh, Wisconsin without Johnny Davis. They've just run into good good thing after good thing. And then they played DePaul. DePaul's not playing well. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, my uh, star of the week, I only had one. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go to Dan Earl, VMI. At Wofford gets a win. Yeah. Plays Furman at home, gets a win. That's two teams probably in the top three of the SOCON. He's done a tremendous job. And you look at some of these military schools, it's hard to recruit to those places. So you have to get really creative. He's got a young man named Jake Stevens, 6'10 center, who's really, really good. He runs a lot of offense through him. It's a lot of fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to watch, and they fly, and they score a lot of points. My star of the week, who else? Walker Kessler, Auburn. They said he had, what was it, 14, 9, and 11 blocks. And then Bruce Pearl, being Bruce Pearl, decided to give one of the team rebounds to him. And so in the stat, in the official book, he has 14, 10, and 11. So good for him. Coach Prom, I don't think you would have done that. You wouldn't have done that. There's no chance. If I could have got one of them point guards a triple-double, I'd, I'd, I'd have thrown him an extra assist. There you go. <laughs> but he gave him one of the team rebounds later. So good for him. Good for Bruce Burrell. Good for Walker Kessler. We talked about him a little bit off air. One of the best oh, in the country at – I, not only help side blocks, but chase down blocks. That guy's length and ability to catch up with dribble penetration second to none in the country. Yeah, I was watching some defensive edits. Watching Auburn the last two nights, I was watching some, some of their defensive edits. He blocks everything. I mean, I'm watching the LSU you know, replay, just watching Auburn's defense. He blocks everything around the rim. Length, size, Auburn is tough on defense. Yeah, we talk about front courts, and that's kind of driving the narrative of the best teams in college basketball. Auburn's right up there, man. I don't feel like they get mentioned necessarily as much as the Gonzaga, the Purdue front courts. It might be time to start considering that Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler front court, the best of the best in the country. I got two players for my two stars of the week. Uh, two players that I, I believe only had one victory each this week. Actually, I think Marcus Carr may have had two. Marcus Carr is my first star of the week. Chris Beard rolls out mimosas for everybody, for all the Texas fans. And apparently it turns out all Texas fans needed to view Marcus Carr in a different light was a mimosa because Marcus Carr had his best game of the season as far as I'm concerned. 20 points, four rebounds, I believe two assists. He was all over the place. And if they get that Marcus Carr, this Texas team's ceiling goes back to where I thought it would be preseason. Now, the Texas that I've seen has not had a very good or a very engaged Marcus Carr this season. So I'm curious if this is going to be something that sticks. I am a Marcus Carr believer. Again, I'm a Big Ten guy. I've seen him just single-handedly will Minnesota teams to games they shouldn't have been in. I was very excited to see him in a Texas program with a, with a coach who knows a lot about winning. 
Uh, and it was good to see him get on the right right track right here. My Eric second one for him too, because he played at Pitt before, and so he's got a little ACC in him. So, yeah, he was on that 0-18 team with uh, Kevin <laughs> Stallings, I think. Like, yeah, he just but they were they were starting like four freshmen, I think, at that point. But you could see he had talent. I will say this: when he was playing, he was assertive. He was getting into the paint. He was pitching out. I mean, he he did a nice job. He looked more comfortable being Marcus Carr that game. Does that make sense? He wasn't looking over his shoulder to make sure he was making the right play. He looked more comfortable being himself. And it, as a result, it played well. I yeah. think Chris's teams, too, get better offensively throughout the year. I think those guys understand more what he wants. I think they yeah. feel more comfortable in his system, gives a little bit more freedom as the season progresses. And I think you've seen it with some guys that he's had with the past teams that made the runs late man they got better offensively because they're always going to have their their juggernaut defense but it but when they start becoming a very good offensive team that's when they take off but bearded the mimosas i didn't know that that's great man he's always got something going oh man ten dollars a basketball game and a mimosa what else could you want you gotta love it uh i look i'm glad fellas we only have one minute left for my second star of the week and if my sleepers media co-host is listening to this somewhere plug your ears carter elliott my second star of the week was Colin Gillespie. That Villanova win down the stretch against a Seton Hall team who was missing some key guys. But, man, that Seton Hall team is tough as nails. I just continue to be so impressed with how those guys just stick in any game. It doesn't matter who can suit up for them or who can't, who they're playing. They're going to be a tough out. They responded every time Villanova had a chance to pull away. It was like a nine-point lead. They'd cut it right back to two. And then it'd be a six-point lead. They'd tie it up. And I just kept thinking, man, my Gillespie agenda has a big opportunity here. He might just shy away from the big moment. Instead, he hit a couple big shots. He took care of the ball. He was really tough defensively on the Seton Hall guards. And in fact, I think he checked out with about a seven-point lead with about three minutes left. And Jay Wright put him on the bench with four fouls. And when he checked back into the game, it was a tie game with about one minute left. And he made some key plays down the stretch, took care of it, uh, got his team to the free throw line. So Colin Gillespie, kudos. I have good words to say about you for maybe the first time this season. And uh, I feel weird saying that. T.O., I know you've heard my agenda with that before. This, this feels a little icky to end like that. But what can I do? Hey, a healthy Seton Hall squad beats Villanova. Let's just be clear. Wow, I love I love that Seton Hall team, man. I love that. See, they're t- they're so tough. Willard has them playing so hard, and they've got scoring. And Jared Roden's a pro. Like it, it's a good team. Good team. Especially Ike Obiagu not being there. He's him and Kalkbrenner from Creighton, probably the best two rim protectors in that league. Like that league. I mean, that league is good. The league is terrific. <laughs> uh, but you know, Villanova two and one in that Big East, slowly getting back where they're supposed to be. They have that mental edge. They have that, and I and I compared it to when Paulus and Shire were playing. Like, weren't the most overwhelming team, but at the same time, mentally, they just expected to win, so they would in turn make winning plays all the time, consistently. Villanova has that this year. Yeah, Villanova's back to doing Villanova things, and the field of sixty-eight is going to continue to do the field of sixty-eight things. We'll have after dark <laughs> shows all week again. For Terrence Oglesby, for Steve Prohm, I am Greg Waddell. Thank you for... Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.